welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. We just missed Canada Day this past Friday, and July 4th is coming in the USA. It's a wonderful opportunity to celebrate God's faithfulness to our nations over these past hundreds of years. And we can thank him for that and trust him that God will continue to meet, meet needs and help us to continue to glorify him and to continue to promote biblical principles into the culture in which we live. And so I thought today's scripture should be found in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, which says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness is what exalts a nation. Both these nations in North America are straying farther and farther away from the Word of God and from biblical truth. And it's really a great concern of mine, and I'm sure it is of yours, the way these nations are going. We need to ask the Lord for revival, that God will send a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit to touch hearts and minds and draw us back to himself. For without him, we can't do anything, but he's the one that strengthens us and helps us to do all things through Christ. And so I trust that we'll be praying for our nations, that God will help us to do things according to the word of God and to be able to have freedom to continue to share the gospel of Christ. the special edition directly from the field. Please excuse the quality of this online call. And this is Melissa Vandermey standing in for Dr. Brian Albrecht. Today we have Mano Young in our studio and she is one of our missionaries in India. How did you come to know the Lord as your personal Savior? 
I was attending vocational Bible school, decided to give my life to the Lord. My heart started on this journey of faith. So how did God work in your heart towards mission? As they are aging, we have been a part of this mission since we were young. And we partook in it ever since we were children. But as you get older and as my parents age, there's a huge responsibility to take over the missions. And so all of this being settled abroad, it, uh, my parents too were wondering, okay, who is going to take on this big, huge task of running our, our ministry? And God, his plans are perfect. His ways are neither our ways, neither his plans are plans. And it's amazing to see how God worked in my life. I never envisioned for once that I would be in the missions, but he chose me out of the four to come back home to India. And so I had that burden to be able to support my parents as they were aging and to see this ministry. And God had had in, in his plan set for me that this is his will for me. And so here I am. I never envisioned it, but sometimes, you know, God chooses, <laughs> chooses us for his purpose. So I praise God for this opportunity to help my parents in the ministry. Well, praise the Lord. And you have a beautiful, willing heart. And that's a really special thing to observe. So thank you. So tell us about your ministry home for the elderly and the destitute. Ponaham, our home that we run for uh, the elderly and destitute was started way back in 2006. And of course, my parents had this vision in their hearts, both being nurses, that they wanted to be able to serve. And more so, Ponaham um, was a rock of uh, for all the destitute individuals and people who have been abandoned and abused. And so my parents seeing this need for the elderly and lost and abandoned. They decided to use their, their passion for the Lord and their medical background to be able to start this home to help out not only the elderly, but the destitute as well. How many elderly are in the home? There are about 40, there are 47 in the home right now. There's a total of 19 men and 28 ladies. And I just wanna backtrack a little bit about the meaning of Ponaham as well. Now, Ponaham, you might be wondering, my, my mother, she looked after my grandparents till their last breath. And my grandfather decided that my daughter has cared for me this much. And he donated this piece of land to my mother. And so that is how Ponaham started. And my grandfather's name is Joseph Sam Ponaya. So Ponaham, Pon is in honor of my grandfather's name. It's Pon, and Aham means uh, home. So Ponaham is in honor of his name to have this home. And so, as you said, there are 47 people who call Ponaham home right now. If you'd like to learn more about Mano's ministry, please tune in next week, and we will have fun talking further about this ministry. Thank you so much for listening to CAS National Bible Hour. As you're aware, this is a listener-supported program, and we cannot continue to be on the air without your support. So we appreciate you praying and asking the Lord how you can help us. This month, we're offering a wonderful booklet 
A Thankful Heart in a World of Hurt by Joni Erickson Tada. This booklet I found to be very, very helpful. It does several things for me, and hopefully it will do the same for you. First of all, it explains what true contentment is with the Lord. It talks about having joy in the midst of tremendous suffering, hardship, hurts, and all kinds of difficult people that we run into. I found it to be tremendously helpful to my own spiritual life, and I know it'd be very helpful to yours as well. One of the principles that's in this booklet is the idea of counting your blessings. I remember uh, we used to sing, count your blessings, name them one by one. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I really encourage you to write in to get this booklet, A Thankful Heart. And if you do that, I'd be glad to get you a copy. To order your copy, please write Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R787 or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. Wonderful words, wonderful words.
Today's message is from the Honorable Ernest C. Manny. Printed copies are available upon request. We're examining the highlights of God's handiwork in creation and in his dealings with mankind. Thus far, we've discussed his day of creation and his day of revelation. God's great day of creation encompassed his original creation of the universe and the race of spirit beings called angels. It encompassed his recreation of this earth as described in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 when he brought into being all forms of life that exist, including man. The creation of Adam and Eve was the climax of God's day of creation. It was an unprecedented act that only a divine and omnipotent God could perform. He molded man's form from the dust of the earth into the likeness of his own image, breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. A man became not a superior species of animal, but a living soul. God's great day of revelation included much more than the revelation of himself through his supernatural work of creation. He revealed himself visibly and audibly to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He spoke audibly with Cain and Noah and Abram and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Joshua, later with the Old Testament prophets. The greatest Old Testament visible and audible revelation of himself was when he descended on the top of Mount Sinai in the sight of the entire camp of the Israelites and then spoke with Moses face to face, and wrote with his own finger on two tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, which remain the foundation on which systems of jurisprudence have been based ever since. But the climax of God's great day of revelation was when he came into this world in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. That Christ lived on this earth is a fact of history, that he was, as he said, the only begotten son of God is equally irrefutable. He was the undeniable revelation of God incarnate in human flesh. He that has seen me has seen the Father, was his clear and unequivocal affirmation. No one can intelligently deny the existence and nature of the eternal self-existent God, as long as the revelation of himself in the person of Christ remains a fact of history. We come now to a consideration of God's third great day, which is described in the scriptures as God's day of grace. The word grace means free unmerited favor. Grace can be neither purchased or merited. You could not buy the favor or mercy or blessing of God if you possessed all the money in the world. If you live the most noble, upright, exemplary life it is possible for anyone to live, it would not earn for you one jot or tittle of God's grace, for grace is not only free, but unmerited favor. The first reference to God's grace in the Bible is in Genesis 6 and 8, where after describing the universal corruption and violence of society in Noah's day, and God's decision to destroy mankind from off the face of the earth by a universal flood, we read, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why God picked Noah to be the recipient of his grace, we can neither know or understand. You might say Noah was a good man. He didn't go along with the immorality and violence and corruption of his day. Why he was even called a preacher of righteousness. All true. But that isn't why God extended grace to Noah. As Paul says in Romans 4 and 4, Now to him that worketh, is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. God wasn't paying a debt he owed Noah because he lived righteously. 
Grace is free, unmerited favor. God's amazing grace has its origin in his immeasurable love for mankind and his desire to save man from the curse and consequences of sin and restore him to perfect and eternal fellowship with himself. That's why the scriptures say of the salvation by grace that God offers us today, God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There are two important things we should understand about the grace of God as it applies to our present day and age. One is the gospel of grace, and the other, the age of grace. Now the term gospel means good news. A number of different gospels are mentioned in the scriptures. There's the gospel of God, that is the good news about God and his love for mankind. There's the gospel of Christ, the good news about Christ, who he was, why he came, why he died and rose again, what he has done to open the door of salvation to all who will believe him and trust him and receive him as their savior. Then there's the gospel of the kingdom, that is the good news about the earthly millennial kingdom of heaven that Christ will establish when he returns to take over the management of this earth reign in righteousness as king of kings and lord of lords. The gospel of the kingdom was the good news Christ preached during his earthly ministry. Many of his parables began with the words, the kingdom of heaven is like unto this or like unto that. The gospel of the kingdom was preached not to humanity at large, but to God's people Israel, who will be the subjects of his coming kingdom of heaven on earth. Finally, we come to the gospel of the grace of God. That's the greatest gospel of all. It's the good news that redemption and forgiveness is now available to all mankind in the person of Jesus Christ. The gospel of God's grace is the gospel for this present age. It is the most important good news ever to fall on human ears. The gospel or good news of God's amazing grace eternal salvation, fallen free, without money and without price, for all who will believe and receive Christ as their personal Savior, whether they be Jews or Gentiles, rich or poor, young or old, bond or free. The gospel of grace was not revealed until after Christ's death and resurrection and ascension back to heaven. It was unknown to the church born at Pentecost. That first church was a kingdom church. Its gospel was preached only to the Jews. The heart of its message was that Christ had indeed been their promised Messiah. That fact had been confirmed by his bodily resurrection from the dead. If they would now believe and acknowledge him as their Messiah, he would return and establish his promised kingdom of heaven on earth and deliver them from the yoke of the Roman Empire and restore the glory they'd known in the days of King David and Solomon. Thousands of individual Jews responded, and the kingdom church flourished. Thousands of individual Jews were saved, but as a people, 
Israel collectively did not believe. Their religious leaders bitterly persecuted the apostles. They stoned Stephen to death. They imprisoned Peter and John. They killed James, the brother of John. The bitter persecution was led by a young Jew named Saul of Tarsus, who, the record says, breathing out threatenings and slaughters, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. But God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He miraculously converted Saul to faith in Jesus Christ as he journeyed to Damascus. Read the account for yourself in Acts chapter 9. It marked one of the great turning points in human history. Shortly after his miraculous conversion, God directed Saul into the desert of Arabia, and there by divine revelation committed to him the glorious gospel of grace and commissioned him to preach it not only to the Jews but to the entire Gentile world as well. Paul speaks of that experience in Galatians 1, 11, and 12 in these words, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me was not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And again in Ephesians 3, speaking to Gentiles, he says, If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Unto me is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul in his sermons and epistles expresses the central theme of the gospel of grace in these words. Through this man, that is Jesus Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That glorious gospel of grace which Paul received by divine revelation and henceforth preached soon caused controversy with the Jewish saints of the kingdom church headquartered at Jerusalem, who held that believers in Christ must also be circumcised and observe certain traditions of the law of Moses to be saved. Acts 15 records a conference of the church held in Jerusalem and attended by Barnabas and Paul to iron out the disagreement that had arisen. Now a word about the age of grace in which we are privileged to li be living today. The age of grace and the church of grace began not at Pentecost, but as we have seen, with God's revelation of the gospel of grace to Paul shortly after his miraculous conversion on the road to Damascus. The age or dispensation of grace will continue until Christ appears and removes his church from this earth in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, as described in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17, 
and 1 Corinthians 15, 51, and 52. God's specific instructions for the Christian church and for Christians individually and collectively who have believed and responded to the gospel of grace and through faith in Christ of being spiritually reborn into the household and family of God are not found in the Old Testament or in the four gospels, but in the epistles of the apostle Paul, which are addressed specifically to those who are members of Christ's universal church through having responded to the gospel of God's amazing grace. That gospel of grace is the gospel we try to make clear week by week through these national broadcasts. Specifically, there are five things we want to help you understand. One, all have sinned and because of sin are alienated from God and under condemnation. That includes you. Two, there isn't anything you can do to save or help save yourself from that condemnation. Three, Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection has done everything necessary to enable you to be forgiven and restored to eternal fellowship with God. He died as your substitute sin bearer so that you could go free. He shed his divine blood to atone for all your sins. Now he asks you to accept the salvation he purchased for you at the price of his own life. For you personally must take the step of accepting what Christ offers you by turning from your old life of sin and by faith receiving him into your life as your personal savior. He's still awaiting in love for you to invite him to come in, if you will. Bow your head and tell him so in your own words as our invitation hymn is sung. And finally, if you receive him into your life as your Savior, he wants you to know that you have God's forgiveness and the priceless gift of eternal life. The scriptures say, He that hath the Son of God hath life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have everlasting life. May God bless you. I trust the message you just heard will be a great blessing to you this next week, and I trust it will draw you closer to the Lord. Here at Canada's National Bible Hour, we are so thankful for the privilege of sharing the Word of God, and of course we hope that people will grow in their faith because of these messages that have been preached, but also we're concerned about those who have never received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. The Bible is very clear about what needs to be done. It's not by works that you're saved, it's by faith. The Bible teaches that all sin that comes short of the glory of God. The Bible also teaches that the wages of that sin, in other words, the payment for that sin is death. It's separated from God. But the gift of God, the gift of God is the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross, bearing your sins in his own body, taking your place and the anger that God has towards each and every one of your sins, and putting on the Lord Jesus. And he died, but the third day he rose again. And because of that, as you put your faith in him, put your trust in him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You can have a new life. The Bible teaches that, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. 
All things have passed, old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Don't forget to write in and get your copy of A Thankful Heart. The technical term is A Thankful Heart in a World of Hurt. But if you just say A Thankful Heart, I'm sure that you'll get a copy of this pamphlet. It's such an encouraged one. I, I really recommend it to you. Write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. You can hear past um, broadcasts on our website at missiongo.org. That's M-I-S-S-I-O-N-G-O dot O-R-G. And please remember us in your prayers. And please write in to get that, get your copy of the pamphlet, A Thankful Heart in a World of Hurt.